Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Docs Running Podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. A few weeks ago, I joked that it would be painful to have to sit through a solo episode of mine. And lo and behold, today is actually that day where we're going to run through a solo episode with me. Uh, the rest of the team recorded their year picks for their best training shoes, racing shoes, trail shoes, stuff like that. This year, I've had a little bit of a unique uh kind of trajectory of the entire year, I guess we'll say. And so my ability to contribute to a best of series was a little bit limited. And I'm going to go into why that was. Uh, But I am going to talk about the shoes that I did test, some things that I learned about myself, about my feet and my preferences, um, and some of the shoes that kind of stuck out to me uh, in the way that this year unfolded for myself. So Buckle up, we're in for a solo episode with me. I'm Nathan Brown, uh, but I am excited to share a little bit of what my story has been this year and some of the shoes that I've appreciated, some that I enjoyed that I didn't necessarily think I would, uh, and some others that I think uh, are considerations for people with certain types of injuries or pain. So let's first just start with kind of what my year has been. So I came into 2023 pretty healthy. I had a really fun first half of the year. I was able to kind of get on my feet and get some training in for a five mile race and kind of brought myself back into the racing scene with a local race. We have, it's called the Bach run. It's a five mile out and back from the local brewery. It's super fun. Uh, a couple thousand people show up to, to run it and had a really fun race. And I'll talk about the shoes from that later. Then I continued my training plan towards a 20 K that I ran in Madison. And that was super fun. Cause I felt like I was finally back at it after a couple years of being a little bit down in terms of my fitness and my shape. And I ran that race. And if it were a half marathon, I would have PR'd by a couple minutes. Um, I was feeling really good and had a really uh, wonderful race. Then I just continued running. I had no other specific racing goals for the rest of the year. I was going to do another half marathon in the fall, but I did with a friend want to do a lot more trail running this year. So we have the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin, which is over a thousand miles and it kind of runs up and down the state of Wisconsin. It's a pretty neat thing. So we picked a couple of the counties around us and we wanted to cover all of the distance of the uh, Ice Age Trail in those counties. So I did a lot more trail running this year. And then at some point in mid uh, July. It was around the time where I went out actually for David's wedding in California. We took our whole family out there, did a Disney thing. It was really fun. But around that time, I started getting pain on the plantar surface of my foot right under the, the big toe. And actually that week in California was the first week that I chose not to run at all. And walking around Disney, I had a lot of pain in that region. And it turned out that uh, I the pain just kept getting worse and worse. If I would try to run, the pain would get worse. And then I noticed that the kind of the ball of my foot was about three times the size as the other side. And that was my sign that this isn't just a little niggle. This is something else that's going on. So I gave myself a full uh, nine weeks off of running where I didn't run at all. And within that time, I did go get an MRI and I'll talk about that later. But then I kind of, after these nine weeks, tried to get back into running a little bit and the pain wasn't necessarily getting worse, but it also wasn't improving. So I tried some graded progression loading for probably like four to six weeks. And then now I'm in a period where I've been off of running again for three more weeks. And I can finally say that I do think it's actually getting better, which is really cool. So I'll go into that a little bit more. So big picture, 
my year has been one where I was really excited about kind of where my running was going and my fitness levels and kind of some goals that I might be able to set over the next couple of years. And then I ran into some road bumps that I just didn't necessarily expect. So um, with that said, this year, uh, I only tested, well, only, it's a funny thing. I tested like 35 to 40 shoes. I have them all written down. I went back through my calendar and I write down all the runs and what shoes I do them in. I tested 35 to 40 shoes. And um, I'm going to talk about those and how they fit into both my just normal training, which ones really stuck out to me. And then I'm going to also talk about which ones just didn't work for me because of what was going on with my foot. So I guess let's start there to give you a little bit more details. Um, I When I got my pain that was getting worse and worse, a couple of the tests that I did clinically on myself and with another PT that I had here locally, we did resistance testing of the first toe to see, hey, does activation of the tendons on that area of the foot cause an irritation? Nothing would bother it. I could push as hard as I wanted through that toe. None of those tendons caused pain. We also would kind of stretch it into extension or pull the big toe back as far as we could. That was a little bit painful, but nothing super remarkable. Um, but just a lot of, it was really just pressure. And I would be standing on that foot and I would get kind of, it felt like there was a, a ball on the bottom of the foot that was just pushing into like a very small marble pushing into my foot. A lot of times that marble sensation is more lateral on the foot or more towards the fifth toe or it's between two and three and that's considered a Morton's neuroma but this didn't line up with that it was a little bit different so one of my big concerns was is this a sesamoid fracture so the sesamoid is uh, are these small floating bones on the base of the the first toe and so that was actually what sparked me to hey let's go get some imaging and make sure that there's not anything going on so I had some x-rays they were clear. If it was a stress fracture of some kind, those wouldn't show up anyway. And then I went and got the MRI, and um, that showed a couple of things. Basically, if you've heard of the, if you've heard of turf toe, that's what I have. So um, it did show a couple things on the MRI, and I'll go into that in a second. But uh, it was the uh, medial sesamophalangeal ligament was torn. And so that is the, it's also called the plantar plate or the volar plate. And it's the one that um, connects from the sesamoid and between the like long bone or the tarsal bone and then the first phalanx. So it had a, a, some tearing in there. And um, the other thing that was on there was some tendinopathy or tendinosis of the flexor hallucis longus tendon, which is a tendon that runs through that region as well. So then when you get MRI results, anyone who gets MRI results, you have to make sure that your clinical presentation lines up with what the MRI is showing because abnormal findings on MRIs happen all the time. So just because you may get an MRI on your back and it says that you have a bulging disc at these certain levels or you have degenerative joint disease or degenerative disc disease, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's causing your symptoms. It's common for people to have abnormal symptoms. In the back, for example, uh, by the time we're 50, 50% 50 of people have degenerative joint disease with no pain. So uh, I think when I got those MRI results, the question was, what lines up with my clinical uh, presentation? And because of the swelling that was getting really, really large and the irritability that would happen when I would bring my foot into extension, depending on what type of shoes I would wear, both me and the orthopedist that I was working with agreed that it probably was primarily this turf toe or plantar plate rupture that were causing the symptoms which honestly was a really frustrating thing because when it comes to a lot of the more common running injuries, you think about Achilles tendinopathy, patellar tendinopathy, IT band stuff, 
all of these different types of um, injuries that have to do with a tendon or a muscle, those you can do a lot for when it comes to rehab. You can do loading exercises, you can do um, progressive loading programs, whereas something like this, where it's a ligament tear, you have to protect it and give it time. And if you remember back to the episode that Matt and I talked about, a lot of times the healing time frame for ligaments can be even up to six months. And that's assuming that you don't do anything to reset the process or and, and assuming that you put it in positions that allow it to go through the healing process that it needs to. So I wanted to try it on that early. That's why my phases of running where I started with nine weeks off of running and I was both listening to my symptoms as well as uh, looking at that time model and thinking, okay, it's been nine weeks. I'm going to start giving it this progressive loading. I used on my treadmill, I used, um, I have a lever system. So I hooked up on that and did some running and it never hurt while I was running. But I did notice that after I would go on these runs uh, that were limited even to five minutes up to 30 minutes, I could just notice the next day and the day after it was just a little bit more sore. And after, again, four to six weeks of trying to see would I continue to improve even if I tried to give in some loading, it just wasn't ready. So that's now where I'm at with, again, I'm taking another long period of time. I'm, I'm going to take off. It's December 10th today. Um, I've kind of committed to finishing the year out um, resting from running. Um, but in the meantime, I've been doing a lot of other types of exercises. So that's kind of the background of, of what the injury was. And again, it's frustrating because it's not like I can do a lot of this loading to directly help this issue. However, what I have been doing is a lot of loading of my first, uh, so of the flexor halysis longus because there is that tendinosis there. I was like, hey, if it's there, I might as well treat it. So I am doing a loading program for that. I've been doing other foot uh, intrinsic strengthening and strengthening for other parts of my arms and legs. But I've learned a lot about myself when it comes to diligence and consistency with things outside of running. And I'll go into that later. But let's take a pause about my own journey of this year and let's enter into some shoe conversations. So I want to talk first about the daily trainers that really worked for me this year and the ones that maybe didn't work so well for me. There's a couple that I want to highlight. The first was one that I mentioned in our mid-year uh, kind of conversation about the best shoes for the first half, and it was the Clifton 9. That was a shoe that really, really worked well for me. I got a lot of long runs in on that shoe, um, and it's... It, as I talked about then, it's a Clifton. They didn't do anything crazy to change the geometry or anything like that, but it's just that new foam compound gives it a little bit extra bounce that made it really enjoyable for those easy runs. But also I took this on multiple runs over 13 and 15 miles, and both of those felt great. It felt like they had life the whole time. Um, one of them was on a on a cold, really cold day, really, really cold day, <laughs> like uh, like a under 10 degrees kind of a day. And it felt good overall. Um, on, it was dry pavement and stuff. It's not like I was on ice or anything, but it was just really cold. And it, and it held up really well there. And I just liked lacing it up. The only issue with it for me is despite it having a slightly wider toe box, I do wish that it was even a little bit wider or I just got the wide version. Um, but the Clifton 9 was still a top shoe for me, given just that new foam compound and overall just smooth transitions. And it did well, both at the easy paces and when I wanted to pick it up a little bit. Another shoe that came out this year that did work for me really well, um, and it was actually a shoe I was testing around the time when I started to get some pain, very unrelated, but um, it was the Kinvara Pro. 
Um, very different than the, the Clifton because of how stiff it is because of the plate. Obviously a very high stack. You have the layer of PB on the top, layer of power run on the bottom. But what worked for me is the level of aggressiveness of the rocker was gradual enough for me to just get into a long run rhythm. So this was just a floater shoe for me. I could put it on and I could just pound miles out and it felt really, really good. It, uh, the, the plate design and the stiffness of the forefoot actually worked really well for the injury I had because, again, that plate on the bottom of the foot uh, is, is put on stretch when you extend the toe. So when I start to talk about some of the shoes that worked well for me in that phase, um, I'll explain that toe spring and flexibility of the forefoot weren't ideal for running. Um, and so that's why this was actually a really good option. The only issue is that I was also really sensitive to how tight uh, uh, the beginning part of a toe box was. And so the Convara Pro, despite having some room, was still a little bit more of a stiff upper. It doesn't have a super amount of give, and it was just a little bit too snug. And so when I would get that compression, it just caused irritation to my foot. So this could have been a great option for me moving forward as, I was com as I'm coming back from running, but it's just a little bit too snug. Uh, to, to pull that off. Another trainer that I wanted to touch on was actually the Cumulus um, 25 from ASICS. Huge update to the Cumulus, not really recognizable in a lot of ways to the old models. They really did a lot with the geometry and the flaring of the sole, the shaping and the sculpting of it. They really gave it an upgrade. And this was one shoe that just didn't work for me this year. I like the direction that they're going. They want to give it a little bit more life, but I think that the posterior flare and the lateral flare combined on this shoe was just too much. They put a lot of width here to add. They want to add some structure and stability to these training shoes. But because of the flaring and the lack of bevel that, that didn't take it out of the way, I felt like I got a lot of motion medial and laterally on my foot because of where I land. I land a little bit further back, which puts a little bit more landing on that posterior lateral side. And because of that flaring, there's more of a moment around the ankle. So I just never was able to find a rhythm. It felt clunky through the heel. And I think that it's one that I'm excited to see what how they refine it because they have been good at making changes quickly. Um, I should say they've been good at that in the last, you know, five years or so right after they revamped everything. So I'm excited to see where they go. But this was just a shoe that I think if you're a Cumulus person and you want to keep going with the Cumulus line, I would kind of wait to see the next advancements and what they do with kind of the 26 and where they go from there. Another shoe that I wanted to point out that I really enjoyed um, was the Cloud Surfer from On. This was the first shoe that they came out with their kind of new phased uh, pod design, and it really just softened up the ride a ton. Um, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of soft, like super soft shoes, but this one was really enjoyable to run in for those easy runs. Um, and it does feel light enough and had a really comfortable and wide, wide forefoot upper. So this is one if you're thinking about trying on, you kind of have to decide what life of on do I want to go into? Do I want to go into their traditional models? In which case you could look at something like the cloud monster um, or the cloud flow. They have kind of their more typical design of the, of these clouds, or do you want their really soft experience? Then I'd come here. And they also had the cloud eclipse, which I have not tested yet. Um, but I think this is a really fun shoe from on that. The geometry works really well. It's really soft, a little bit of a pop to it. And it's held up pretty well uh, from the miles that I put on it. 
The last shoe that I wanted to talk about is the Nova Blast 4. So I did put out a comparison video on this shoe. The Nova Blast 3 is my favorite trainer of 2020, uh, 2022. And I only have, full disclosure, I only have like two, two runs in this shoe. But from what I ran in it, I have really enjoyed it. I can pretty much guarantee that once I'm up and running again, this would be a shoe that I would reach for. It does have a little bit more stiffness in the forefoot than the previous version. Um, I put both of them on, but that could be because I have multiple hundred miles, obviously, on my other one, which can change how flexible it is. So it just feels a little bit um, more stable again through the heel. Um, they did; It seemed like they widened the base a little bit, and it just, um, it just is another another um, Nova Blast, and I've been really enjoying those even since version 2. But version 3 was my favorite, and um, I just love how how cushioned the forefoot feels with the grooves that they cut out and kind of this pat, crash pad that they put in the forefoot. So those are a couple trainers that stuck out to me this year. Uh, I, another one that I wish worked better for me was the Invincible from Nike cushioning was fantastic. I did a lot of really great workouts, long run workouts in that shoe leading up to my 20K. But the only issue was that um, the heel construction in the hold was pretty wretched. So it was so loose that rocks from, I run on the Green Circle Trail around Stevens Point, which is a granite, crushed granite trail. And rocks would even be able to slide into my shoe. That's how loose it was. It would just slide around. Underfoot feel was awesome. A lot of great things about having that mod, mode of Zoom X underneath. It just didn't work from a uh, from a fit perspective. Now, contrast that with testing the Vimero 17. That was a really nice daily trainer. It was my first Vimero that I've ran in, but it had dual density midsole. You had some Zoom X on the top, and the fit was just way better. Definitely more of like a comfortable cruising kind of daily trainer, uh, but... I would hope that they can take some of the construction of the heel fit on that shoe or pretty much any of their shoes and put it into the Invincible. I think that it would make it a shoe that I would reach for um, all the time. The one thing, the other thing I would notice about the, the Invincible is that the upper minimizes stretch as well. The Vomero is more that comfortable cruiser, has a little bit of a flexible upper. The uh, Invincible has more of a rigid upper that tries to lock everything down. They just failed in the heel to make it work. But in the forefoot, it's that little bit lower volume. It's going to lock the foot in, so it doesn't have a lot of stretch. And with the way, again, that my foot has been working with me, I'm curious to see if that lack of flexibility would cause me issues. But I hadn't been testing that at the time uh, when my foot started to bother me. Let's see. I think the other shoe that I did want to give uh, a little bit of a shout out to was the Topo Phantom 3. That there is from from a boring shoe standpoint, this is kind of like epitomizes it, but I never think that boring is bad. It has a, a good amount of cushion underneath, it has a little bit of a drop, and it has a nice wide toe box and transitions fine front to back. Really great for standing and walking around at work. Uh, the colorway just wasn't conducive, the one that I got for wearing it at work all the time, um, but super comfortable for walking, really comfortable for easy runs. I wouldn't take it on anything fast, but it, it could cruise really, really nicely. Um, and then let's move on to some of the trail stuff that that I, that I oh no, I did want to say one other thing. What I noticed about my experience with daily trainers this year, even before my injury started, the thing that would turn me off the most the thing that was the most consistent issue was upper fit. So um, I talked about the Invincible. 
Um, even some of the ways that the, that I talked about the uh, Canvara Pro, there were a lot of things with these uppers that they were just a little bit too snug in the forefoot, didn't hold the heel down well. And I think I learned this year how much I value a good fit in a shoe, making sure that it's something that I'm not going to have to worry about at all when I go out and run. Um, that's why I did really like the Cloud Surfer because that fit is really comfortable, good amount of cushioning in the heel, um, but not too much cushioning in the heel where it got sloppy. And then the forefoot had enough room to let the foot kind of breathe. So really, really good fit there. Another shoe with good fit that I appreciated, and I'll talk about this shoe when I talk about ones that work for me with my injury, is the Saucony Triumph RFG. So that's run for good. This is their sustainable model. This upper is kind of like that more true sock-like upper where it's more of a cloth material and it has a good amount of flexibility to it. I really like how comfortable that forefoot is in adapting to the foot. And they still did a nice job getting the heel to lock in really well. So for me, fit really, really matters. And I'll talk about it again further when I talk about shoes that did or didn't work for me specifically. So I said that I got to try out a bit more trail life this year on the Ice Age Trail. Ice Age Trail is like a single track hiking trail. It's one that some people like through hike and do the whole the whole deal. Obviously, I went out with my friend to do just segments of it throughout the year, and it was super fun. So a couple of shoes that I tested, did the Speed Goat Exodus Ultra 2 from Saucony, Brooks Catamount 2, Solomon Ultra Glide 2, Topo Terra Venture 4, Endorphin Rift, and the Ultra Fly from Nike. So the shoes that really stuck out to me were the um, Solomon Ultra Glide 2, the Speed Goat, and the Rift. Those were the three where if I was going to be in the market for buying a shoe for the trails, those would be the three that I'd go to. And I'll kind of talk through why. So speaking of fit, I had to get the wide version for the Speed Goat. Um, I know this shoe is not the newest or not the most uh, you know, didn't just drop or anything like that. But the consistency of the Speed Goat, it has uh, not too deep of lugs. They're probably four millimeters or so. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but has a, a nice lug pattern, really grippy in all directions, but not too high where if you're on pavement, you could get away with it for a little while, which is nice for the Ice Age Trail because there are connector segments. So I found this to be a really comfortable cruiser to be able to go from the trail to the road for short distances. I wouldn't just take this on road runs and then back um, onto the trail. Um, I also really loved the shoe in the winter. Um, I found that the upper was warm enough. Um, this is not the Gore-Tex version. This is just the regular version, but it was warm enough where I could just have my typical socks and wear this shoe and get, get by just fine. And then the traction that was added from the outsole was great for going on to a little bit of snowy, kind of snow-covered roads, and big big fan of the Speed Goat 5. Uh, pretty simple and smooth. The rocker just kind of rolls you through, but it isn't aggressive. In the same way, um, that's part of why I loved the um, Ultra Glide 2 from Solomon. And this would, I still think this was my favorite trail shoe from 2023. Um, pretty similar in terms of the depth of the lugs on the outsole. A little bit less aggressive and even more smooth on the roads. I took this on over a 15 miler on the roads. Uh, it was a really snowy day. So I did have some something on the ground, but I was on the roads and I had <clears throat> over 15 miles in this shoe and it, it worked fantastic, both for grip. Um, it, it didn't, despite it being a cloth upper, it didn't hold water too bad. It was a very slushy day and I just really appreciated it. Took this on uh, multiple 10 plus mile trail runs and just the type of rocker, you can just see it's very gradual. 
goes from heel to forefoot. There isn't like a flat surface in the back. It's completely rockered from front to back. And it just worked so well um, traversing the trails, flexible enough to adapt to the, some of the surfaces, excuse me, flexible enough to adapt to some of the surfaces on the trail, but uh, not so flexible that it didn't give you a little bit of guidance. So I just felt like glide is a good word for this shoe. It just moved really well. Um, and, and I appreciated it both on the road when I was doing kind of snowy runs, but also when I took it out this summer, um, in the spring on those trails, single track trails, there was a lot of mud. Some of those days, it just worked really, really well. And it was my, my top shoe of the year for trail. But the other one that I did want to talk about that I think I had the most fun running in was the endorphin rift. So a couple years ago, tested the Endorphin Edge. It's got a plate in it. It has the power and PB. It's a little. It's a higher stack shoe. They came out with the Rift uh, that is a little bit lower stack, but still has that power and PB. But it's a little bit more flexible as well. So it felt way more nimble, and I enjoyed it more. And I felt more safe <laughs> running in this shoe than I did the Endorphin Edge on the trails. Um, and just really liked the underfoot feel. You can see the lugs are a little bit deeper, a little bit more aggressive than the other shoes that I talked about. So I really like this more for pure trail running. Um, and But I really thought that the underfoot feel was really fun, but it wasn't too much, um, too much foam, whereas in the edge, sometimes I felt like it was so high that I could roll an ankle. Um, I did not feel that at all in the, in the rift. The only thing about the rift that I didn't like back to my mantra of the year is the upper has, I think some work to do. They have a pretty, they have a really stiff heel counter in here um, and not a lot of padding. And they also have a very rigid kind of collar around the neck or like the throat of the shoe. And so that was a little bit uncomfortable. I sometimes would feel it on the runs, especially this heel part would kind of dig in. Um, I think that this is, could be all very well refined. They also have this lacing system where it's kind of a booty construction, which is fine and good. But this uh, lacing portion for the more proximal part of the lace is made of a pretty dense plastic. And I could feel that a little bit in my foot. So if they could refine kind of this back half of the upper, this would probably or I, it would have the chance to take over my top trail shoe. Um, but just as it is, the Ultra Glide is the one that I could use for hiking and I could use for going out for some runs. And so that's why I like to choose this shoe. It's just the versatility there. All right. Um, the other shoe that I did want to mention, uh, and I'll, it's, it's, from that to, it's from Topo, and it was the TerraVenture 4. And I would call it the, like, the lone peak of topo. So the lone peak for ultra is like this through hiking shoe, really flexible, um, kind of minimalized a lot of the stuff around the upper Terra venture is pretty much similar in that a little bit more of a constructed heel. And it does have a four millimeter drop or three millimeter drop, but I did it like 15 miles in that or 14 miles one day in that shoe. And I just loved having the nimbleness of that shoe, not nimble in a fast way, but nimble in a flexibility and just morphing to the trail while having enough protection underneath. So that was a fun shoe. That was a fun shoe to get some running in. It was a day that we were crewing for a friend who was doing a 50 miler. And that was my shoe that I would go out and do all my running in and ends up being a lot when you're crewing. So that was super fun. All right. The two more categories. One of them is winter. Um, and I did want to talk about that a little bit. So I have mentioned a couple shoes that I ran in the winter in, like the Ultra Glide and the um, Hoka Speed Goat. So what I like about those is the grip that you get for kind of going over ground. I actually was, they were actually planning to send me the 
speed goat spike, which has little metal ridges, but they tried to send it to me and it ended up being this pair. And I'm actually super glad. One of my issues that I have with either yak tracks or spikes or whatever is you have to make sure that you're on somewhere that has snow or ice or something like that. Because if you don't, it actually gets more slippery when you're on pavement um, and just really loud and uncomfortable. So I actually like to keep some rubber on the ground instead of having something that is metal um, that could that could poke in. So I did talk about those shoes, but two other ones that I wanted to mention that were interesting to test. One of them I would never buy, <laughs> full, full transparency, but um, it's the La Sportiva shoe. Um, it's the Cyclone Cross GTX. So you can see how decked out this thing is in um, snow and winter readiness. It looks like a cross-country ski boot, but you have this kind of you have a boa lacing. You have this lace-up gaiter that's attached to the shoe. It's a pretty slick design. Some things that I had a hard time with with this shoe for the price, over $200 for a shoe that you're not going to get that mint, that much use out of. Unless you are doing this for a very specific purpose, I guess it, it could get a lot of use. Um, the other thing was how tight the upper was and how tight and narrow the toe box was. Again, this was something that could, I think that could be opened up quite a bit because it's not like you're trying to rip speed in this thing. Um, or at least I wasn't, I was going to use this if I was going to go in deep snow. I did do that one day and it was awesome because it was like six inches of powder and I could just run straight through it. But it just wasn't, um, I just don't think it had anything super unique or special that made me want to choose this over my speed goat. Um, and the you can see the outsole construction on this shoe. You can get that in a lot of other um, trail shoes. It's a little bit more aggressive, a little bit deeper, and they're a little bit more spread out to make it more like a spike-like nature. But I didn't necessarily think that it gave me any more grip. Um, but it is a really cool construction, and I did like this foam is super firm. But if when I'm running on snow in the winter, in the middle of winter, I don't like something that's overly cushioned and overly um, soft because that is a recipe for like super soft foam on top of soft snow. You just get lost and you don't really know where your foot is in space. And I'm usually pretty sore after those runs. So I did like that this was firmer, but that again, minimized my utility to those times where there would be a lot of snow on the ground. Last shoe that I wanted to talk about is mainly for the upper. And it's like, if they could just make, make some tweaks to the outsole, this could be like the best shoe for, for winter all around. But it's the Endorphin Speed 3. This was the Run Shield. So again, this is an older shoe, but I do think when we think about winter running, I think it should still be in the conversation. Two things I love about the shoe is the um, Run Shield upper is super warm. It's not waterproof, but it's water resistant, keeps the wind away. So on those really cold biting days, it's really great to have an upper like this because it's just it keeps your foot from, from feeling like it's going to fall off. So big fan of the Run Shield upper. I think they do a fantastic job with it. And they did open it up <clears throat> enough where even though that the upper is a little thicker, it didn't feel like it's constricting down on the foot. The second thing that I really enjoyed is that because it is power on PB, it felt like the foam was a little bit more resistant to the colder weather. So those EVAs can firm up quite a bit when you get outside and even if you're out there for a long time, it felt like this just maintained its pop. Now, because of the outsole, which is the same, as far as I know, as their typical models, it didn't do anything for me if there was any snow or anything like that. But if it was just a cold day, but the roads were cleared and there'd been enough like sublimation from the sun, this was a shoe that I would love to put on in the winter. Top choice. Um, 
and even more than their other models uh, that are run shield. And that's because of the power on PB. I just like that that foam keeps its its life and it keeps its bounciness more so than some of the EVAs that are out there. So had to give that shoe a shout out as well. All right, the final category before I get into shoes that works for me with my injury is race day. So I ran, as I mentioned, I ran two races, did my five mile race in March. And then in May, I did my 20K. And I think that it's, it's, there they are. They're down there. It's easy to hypothesize about shoes that would work for me and wouldn't work for me. And I feel like the most telltale thing is what do you actually lace up with? Um, and so I laced up with two different shoes for that race, those races, but I also trialed a bunch of shoes during the training cycle. So for that five miler, I was able to do some testing in the uh, five miler and for the 20K in the Hoka Rocket X2. I tested that out. I got to test out the Alpha Fly 2. Um, and then I tested out the Endorphin Elite, Endorphin Pro 3. Um, and I tested out the New Balance, oh my gosh, SC Elite. This is why I need my my, my people here to keep me on track here. Um, SC Elite V3 tested even the Super Blast in consideration for some of these races for me. Uh, and yeah. I, there were some that definitely didn't work for me. I guess I'll put it that way. Don't know if they would have worked for me if I put them on a metabolic cart. Maybe I would have been surprised. But shoes that didn't work for me, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, but were the uh, Hoka Rocket X2. I just felt like I was having to climb out and I couldn't get into a nice rhythm in that shoe. I did some really nice progression workouts or kind of when I say nice, they were fun. They were fun progression workouts, but I just couldn't get into rhythm really at any pace until I was lower than my 5k or like faster than my 5k pace. Cause then I was really, uh, not so much back on my heel, but kind of up towards my forefoot. And besides that, I couldn't get into a good rhythm. So that shoe just didn't work for me. And the other one that just didn't work for me was actually the Alpha Fly 2. It was super comfortable, um, but it, it just was so clunky for me in that transition from the heel to forefoot. I like the amount of cushioning. The width of the forefoot felt really nice, but I do think I'm excited. I just got the Alpha Fly 3 uh, shipped to me like last week, but I haven't ran in it yet. I'm excited to see if I enjoy the Alpha Fly unit with a connected midsole to see if that changes that transition from heel to forefoot. Um, cause I did like the amount of cushioning and the width that was going on there. So those were some that, that didn't so much work for me. Ones that did work for me quite a bit were the SC elite version three. Um, and when I say it worked for me in that sense, it was very comfortable and worked super well with my mechanics, even though it was a softer shoe, which again, I typically don't gravitate towards the transition from heel to forefoot and through felt so smooth and I didn't feel any hitches in the entire thing. And I would take this on, I actually enjoyed it more for like easier portions of the runs. And that was when I decided I wasn't going to work, uh, take it for the races because I would go do my workout and I would enjoy the warm up and the cool down more than I did the effort. So I really like how it worked with me for running in general, but not so much for the workouts. So with the new version version four coming out, which we have not seen or tested, but we have heard they're changing the midsole. I'm excited to see what their kind of geometric design and their ability to play with midsoles does um, when you have a phone that might have a little bit more life to it. Um, so that one works for me in one sense, but not enough to pull it on race day. The one that I brought with me, I guess maybe I don't have it next to me. That's okay. Um, the the shoe that I ended up wearing for the five mile race was the Saucony Endorphin Pro Three. I tested that and the Elite and the Elite 
the late stage rocker was just too late for me. Whereas the, the, um, endorphin pro three has a little bit more of a gradual rocker. It's still aggressive, but not, but it starts a little bit earlier and it allows you to just roll through to the forefoot a little bit easier, even at slightly slower paces. And so I took that shoe out for the five miles. I anticipated kind of holding myself back, but classic running circumstance where you get to the line and you can't slow yourself down. Um, I had a really great race in that shoe. It felt smooth the whole time. I felt like I was in rhythm and would have no problem taking that any further. But for the 20K, I used a different shoe and that was the Vaporfly um, Next% Percent 3. And I absolutely loved my race in that shoe. Super streamlined. It felt like nothing is wasted in that shoe in terms of midsole width or geometry or extra foam or extra upper. It just felt like they did a really nice job sculpting the shoe. And I I had, again, I had a PR race, which it's easy to love a shoe when you have a good race day, even though the shoe wasn't what made the race day. Um, but I really enjoyed kind of my, my race in that shoe. I'd pick it again and uh, it was awesome. I would have to test out some other some other racing shoes to or like try out the Alpha Fly Three, see if it would usurp it for a race in the future. But as of now, that's that's kind of my go to racing shoe for longer distances, at least up to the half marathon. I think I'd have a different conversation if I was running a marathon, and it would depend on what kind of shape I'm in. But because I was in such good shape in May um, and was feeling healthy and good it was easy to lace that shoe up and it just felt so light on foot in comparison to some of the other shoes that I had been testing and just really enjoyed getting turnover in that shoe. And I'd do it again. It was really nice. Okay. So I wanted to talk about a few shoes that worked well for me and a couple tips that I learned along the way um, when it came to the injury that I had. So remember it was a planner plate rupture. So anything that would bring me into a lot of extension would cause irritation. Um, and then anything that just lead to compression would, would irritate that region. So let's start with the good, start with the good stuff. Um, there was a couple of shoes that as I was returning to running for that period, that really, really worked well for me. Some of them made more sense to me than others. Um, but the first one that, that worked really, really well was actually funny enough, the on cloud boom echo three, I was not doing anything fast at all. Um, but what this shoe had going for it was a very, I went down into by this shoe wall and I picked up every shoe and I tried to bend everyone. I was like, I want the shoe with the stiffest four foot rocker. So that was my first thing because I didn't want my foot to move into extension. So picked up the cloud boom echo. That one was super stiff in comparison to the other ones. So that was on the docket as an option. I also grabbed, I have the, um, Audi zero, Prime X2, and that's even more stiff than this shoe. So that was another one that was I was thinking about trying out. So I just grabbed all these stiff rocker shoes uh, because I wanted to avoid extension of the toe. But what it came down to was which shoe had the, the rocker but didn't have the toe spring and also didn't um, compress my foot too much. So uh, the, the Prime X2 from Adidas way too snug in the forefoot for me at that time. And the foam underneath was just a little bit firmer, which means that it was pushing up into that swelling that I had and just causing irritation. Another shoe that I tried that just didn't work, it was close to working. The the cushion and the softness of the foam was nice. It allowed kind of that swelling that I had to push into it. But if you can see, this is the, um, pay, uh, sorry, what is this called? Um, SC Trainer, that's it, too many shoes. The SC Trainer V2 really nice foam 
compound that allowed my foot to sink into it. But if you can see, look how much toe spring there was. So my foot was just always held in extension and it's just a little bit more flexible than some of the other ones. So it's being held in extension and pushed into extension and it just didn't work for me combined with a little bit more of a narrow forefoot. I've noticed about that about this shoe over the last, um, this version and then uh, actually the Rebel V3, just a little bit snug in the forefoot for me. It just didn't work. And the SC Trail was the same too. So the toe spring just didn't work for me on that shoe. Um, but the other shoe that worked really well for me during this time was not the SC Trainer, but the SC Elite. Um, a little bit in, a little bit more gradual, you can see of the rocker and less of a, of a toe spring than there was in the SC Trainer, funny enough. And so this shoe worked pretty well, except it was just a little bit more flexible. So that's why I ended up gravitating towards the Cloud Boom Echo. because It had a similar kind of fit and feel from a comfort standpoint on the foot, but it was just a little bit stiffer in the Cloud Boom Echo. And that's what I would lean towards. What was more important than the shoes that I ran in were the shoes that I walked in. And the shoe that I have spent more time in than any other shoe this year is the Topo Traverse. So this is a kind of a through hiking shoe that they came out with. It's not specifically made for running, though I have ran in it and it feels nice for just kind of some easy runs on the trails. But I really appreciated going back to what felt good having the space in the forefoot didn't compress my foot and the type of cushioning and amount of cushioning just allowed my foot to sit in the footbed without getting any pressure. Um, there's some flexibility in the forefoot. There's no plate, but with my walking around and stuff, it has enough stiffness that it didn't push me into a lot of extension. Uh, and, and it's been the most comfortable shoe and I've worn it to work pretty much every single day um, during this period of time that I've been injured. The other shoe that I have used during the day is come bringing the shoe back out is the um, Saucony Triumph Run for Good. The reason that I use this shoe is because I had multiple pairs of previous Triumphs. And I actually, and I don't have the one with me that I used, but I would take the insoles out. Oh, that's gross. Look at that. That's disgusting. Look at all my dirt. Um, but what I did is I created a cutout around my first MTP, which allowed the swelling that I had to sit there without getting pressure. So I basically offloaded that part of the shoe. And I did that for over a month, right? I was wearing only the shoes that I could create cutouts and offload the shoe. So if you're in a spot where you need to um, create some offloading to a painful area of the foot, I recommend getting uh, an old pair that you have, taking out the insole and creating a cut in the region of the, of the area of discomfort and pain. So thankful for those couple shoes that got me through um, and are getting me through this time. I'm still wearing that, that traverse every single day just from the level of comfort that it's giving me. Um, and those are the shoes that I've thought about for 2023. Obviously, I did not get to test most of the shoes that came through our doors in the second half of the year, which is a bummer because that's a really fun part, obviously, of being a part of Doctors of Running. Uh, but uh, I, I did want to share kind of some of my experiences and the shoes that I did get to test and kind of why they may have worked for me based off of the injury that I'm currently walking through. Also, uh, I didn't even say this, but I think that the question of how did this, how did I get a plantar plate rupture, I think is an interesting one because typically plantar plate ruptures happen in like football players um, or some kind of level one sport athlete where you have a very rapid and fast extension of the first toe. Maybe you're like changing directions, going from backward to forward and your foot's in extension, your toe's in extension, and then it kind of ruptures. I don't think I had anything like that unless 
it happened when I was coaching Henry's soccer team, or if it happened uh, when I was running on the trail and maybe I hit like a, I was maybe climbing a hill and I hit a root and it just pushed my toe back. But I never had like a moment where I felt it. So it is possible that it was just this chronic um, kind of wear down of that um, of that ligament, and then it just kind of reached its failing point, and now I'm just letting it recover. So. I don't exactly, again, know why it happened. Um, Part of me wishes and hopes that it was kind of that there was an incident that happened because then it's not having to do with kind of my training volumes and having to rethink that. But obviously, that's all part of kind of recalibrating as I think about jumping back into running. Okay, the last thing that um, I wanted to talk about was just a couple of things that I learned about myself uh, in this past year when it comes to running and my relationship with running and that kind of thing. Because when you, if you've gone through any sort of injury, there's so much more than the physical part of it. There's a lot of the mental part and relational part and all of these different things that um, interact with maybe why you run in the first place. And so I just wanted to share a couple of things that I learned about myself. And I'm thankful that a lot of these are pretty positive overall. Um, And then a couple things that I kind of expected to have happened and that did. So the first thing I learned that I have always said that my favorite part of running uh, are the friendships that I make and the community that I have in running. And it's kind of encouraging to see that that's true. Um, I have people come over every single Thursday to our house and um, just like some friends and we run from our house and we sit and we drink coffee. Well, they drink coffee. I drink chocolate milk. Um, (laughs) I just, my stomach doesn't do well with coffee. Uh, But uh, every single Thursday we get together and we run and we do that. And even though I hadn't been running for like 15 weeks out of this year, they've still come to our, come to our house. Sometimes I would bike with them, but now that it's so cold, I just wait for them inside. I'll welcome them in. We chat, we drink coffee. And I just, I'm so thankful for the running friends that I have and that I'm still able to be in relationship with them, even though I'm not out there running with them. But I have noticed that's the flip side where one of my easy ways to connect with people is to go on a run with them and you chat. And I just love when you're with somebody and you're running, There's it's easier to talk about stuff because you're not looking face to face you're kind of distracted by whatever's going on around you. And it just feels like you can open up about life and all the stuff going on. So I have missed some of that, my ability to connect with people um, in that way. But I am thankful for the running friendships that I have and that those have been able to continue um, because they're still willing to kind of come over and do their thing while I'm waiting for them to come back. So running community really is what I love about the sport. And it's still the thing that I love about the sport and the activity. So really, really fun. I also learned um, that I've always, I I did a a project as part of my doctoral studies that I'm doing right now for my educational doctorate. And it was about running identity and how um, health habits inform things like our identity and how deeply that that can impact our day-to-day life. So I had always thought I was a pretty healthy had a pretty healthy relationship with running. And I'm thankful to say that even though running kind of got taken away from me for 15 or so weeks that I have been like good on like a base level inside. I have been able to still have like joy and happiness and all that stuff. And I found other ways to um, spend my time um, because I did run a good number of hours a week. Um, still find other ways to be somewhat active, other ways to connect with people. I just was thankful to find that that wasn't a linchpin in my life that was like keeping me afloat. 
um, which I think is a healthy spot to be. So I was thankful to, to find that out too. I also found that I maybe am more patient when it comes to recovery than I thought I would be or than I have been in the past. Because sometimes when I've had smaller niggles, I start to like, oh no, if this gets really bad, maybe this is going to derail me a little bit. I'm going to be really frustrated because it's going to do X, Y, and Z to my fitness or whatever. And I've been th- I've been pretty pretty thankful that um, I've, I've felt pretty patient, like even in this phase of trying to come back to running and now being off for three, three weeks and thinking I'll be off for three more or so. Um, I, I have been in a good patient spot knowing that the healing time frame exists, kind of listening to the PT side of myself, which is kind of rare for me, um, saying, Hey, this could take up to six months to actually heal, give it the time that it needs, do the other things that you can in the meantime to keep moving and have fun and be with people. Um, but I've also been able to listen to kind of some of the advice that I would give a patient where if they were trying to either rest from it, protect it with different taping techniques and all this stuff. Also doing some loading to the tendons around the area just to keep the foot strong since I'm not using it in the same way. So I have learned that I'm a little bit more patient than I thought I, um, than I thought I may have been when I would actually get into this situation. (laughs) The final thing I learned about myself is that I love running and I don't love pretty much anything else. I did a lot of biking for a while. Brutal. Never enjoyed it. Not once. But part of it's because I biked alone. (laughs) Um, The second thing that I still don't love is lifting. But again, I was doing it alone. And it's just really, really hard for me to get motivated. Swimming. Swimming's fun. I did enjoy swimming. However, I didn't like waking up extra early, having to go into a pool where it's like dark, it was dark outside and it's cold outside. And then you got to go into a cold pool, swim laps, shower. It just was so time consuming. So there's just all of these different forms of exercise. I learned I don't like any of them as much as I love running. So still thankful for running, excited to get back into the swing of it whenever that happens, hopefully in the next you know month or so. But um, learning, learning a lot about myself, Learning that uh, accessibility to exercise is a key thing. It's so much harder for me to get to the weight room because I have to, I can't just put on shoes and run out the door and go run. You have to, I have to drive to a gym. Um, I have to get inside that gym and then I have to shower after because I'm, or go home and shower. So accessibility really matters. And um, I can see where that can lead to difficulty with consistency for a lot of people. And I know for sure it has been for me when it comes to lifting. Um, And then just, I, I, again, I haven't tried any of those activities with people. And I think that if I did, maybe I would be more consistent with the things that I didn't like if I was doing them with people. So maybe that would be something worth trying. Um, It's just harder to coordinate, harder to coordinate. I think that's everything that I wanted to talk about. I babbled for probably way longer than you have wanted to listen to me talk about, but there's my thoughts on 2023, the shoes that I got to test, which ones worked well for me, which ones I am excited to see progressions of in the future, and uh, also some of my journey walking through a ligament sprain in my foot. And for anyone else who's going through a longer standing injury, we're going to get there. We're going to heal. Um, we're going to do the things we have to to get back. And it'll be fun to, to see what's on the other side. But hope everybody has a great night, great day, or whenever you're listening to this. Uh-huh.